On the Empire Podcast this week, Dr. Sheldon Cooper, a.k.a. Jim Parsons, drops by the pod booth, Bazinga, and the wonderful Gemma Arterton also pops her head in for a bit of a natter. Her head, because... in Anyway, uh, all that and more on the Only Movie Podcast that has never punched a producer because her food wasn't on the table, but we did once tweak a runner's nipple because there were no custard creams in craft services. Seems fair enough to me. Hello, pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and this is my audition to replace Jeremy Clarkson on Top Gear by speaking like a Top Gear presenter. Alternatively, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, joining me this week are my very own James May and Richard Hammond. <laughs> if James May was obsessed with subtitles instead of toys and Richard Hammond were about two feet taller and fancied the Winchester brothers. Not saying he doesn't. They're fanciable brothers, but nevertheless, it's Phil Dissemblian. Yeah. And Thanks, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? I kind of objective Top Gear even being mentioned on Why? the show, but it's awful. It's not awful. It is actually you've, awful. You've mispronounced awesome. No, no, awesome. I'm pretty sure I've got that one right. It's a very good show. It's not a very good show. It's, it's No, it's very good in, in fits and starts. The specials are good. Fits and starts. Yeah. I mean, that's you, not what you, you want seen, from a car, Have you ever seen the specials? The specials. Mm. Isn't that a group? Will they go to, will go to like Burma and Vietnam and they no, drive around those. being agents? Those yeah, are fine. Really? Those are good. Yes. They're not a wee bit racist? No. Okay. Occasionally. Yeah. But apart from that. Anyway, welcome, Helena Hammond. Here's a question from at Nick E. Alden. Nick E. Alden, who asks, which other classic movie uh, than Ghostbusters should get a remake with an all-female cast? I'm not sure if this was sent to us before or after this week's announcement that there is going to be another Ghostbusters movie after next year's all-female Paul Feig-directed uh, Ghostbusters movie with um, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. Um, there's going to be another one in 2017. So yeah. Sony are now opening up a, a Ghostbusters shared universe. So this one, really good people attached. Really it's going people. to have the Russo yeah. brothers directing. Uh, uh, that's not confirmed, is it? Because they may well be doing, you know, some Avengers at that point. Some other stuff. I think their schedule has worked out so they'll be able to do it. I think that's the feeling. I think they think they, we have a window so we can go for it. 2016 Captain America, 2017 Ghostbusters, 2018 and 2019 Two Avengers movies, if they are the ones to do the Avengers movies, of sure. course. Um, very, very interesting. But clearly they're they're keen to do something else other than Marvel stuff in between. Um, anyway, so Russell Brothers directing, Drew Pierce uh, writing, uh, and Channing Tatum and maybe Chris Pratt starring. Mm. Not bad. Well, again, those are very speculative. Channing Tatum's definitely producing, isn't he, at this He's point? definitely starring. Yeah. Definitely starring. I mean, here's here's my issue with this whole thing, is that it's, it seems to show a massive lack of confidence at Sony. If they'd announced a Ghostbusters shared universe when they announced the Feig film, uh -huh. then you'd be like, all right, fair enough, and here are some more details, and we're going on ahead. Um, if they'd announced this, you know, after that film had either succeeded or failed, then you'd be like, okay, fair enough, that makes sense. But announcing it between those two makes it feel like... Uh-oh, wait, this may not work. People went nuts when we announced a female Ghostbusters. We better have a male one. Quick. Mm. Back up, you guys. Vehicle reversing. Vehicle reversing. <laughs> it just, it's, it strikes me as I have never seen a studio so thoroughly demonstrate a lack of faith in their own film, before, like a year before release. You think so? I yeah. Don't, I don't know. I just think that Sony have got a pretty barren slate of franchises and maybe they're just trying to ramp up what they do have. But why do you announce 
and it's not even being set up as a spin-off. We're not, you know, Feig, Feig wasn't announced, wasn't involved in this announcement. It wasn't like, oh, we've got something special for you guys. It was not like they're tying this together. It's not like, you know, he's he's kind of bigging this up as a shared thing. This is not a collegiate seeming affair. This is a rival seeming affair. And I think that's a bit of a well, known goal. Um, I, I, yeah, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to say at this point in time, but it certainly what's happening to Sony is I've set up this corporation within a corporation called Ghost Core, yeah. which will uh, oversee all future Ghostbusters projects. Now, that, that's bear in mind as well. Be? That's bear in mind as well. We don't know that there's a really appetite for, out there for a new no. Ghostbusters film. No. I mean, you know, Ghostbusters, everyone assumes it's going to be huge, and it could well be huge. Uh, the first film, clearly, well, one of the biggest, still one of the biggest comedies of all time. Um, but will it mean anything to audiences who didn't grow up with the original film uh, when it comes out next year? Possibly. Who knows? But just in case, they, they, they're putting all their eggs in one basket and Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd are uh, apparently going to head up this ghost core, mm. shared mm-hmm. universe, brain trust. Um, maybe Paul Feig might be involved. Who knows? But uh, my feeling is that, you know, they're going to be quite meta about the whole thing and establish Ghostbusters as a franchise within the world of Ghostbusters so you'll probably see these guys show up at the end of the Paul Feig mm. movie and go hey you guys have got New York we'll handle Chicago and off they go but you think going to spread from city to city until they arrive in like Hounslow yeah <laughs> well yeah no I get that but it's just the way it's been handled looks awful Looks absolutely awful. I'm sorry. Yeah, but we don't know, uh, for example, about when this idea came about. This idea might have literally come about in the last month or so, or it might have come about in the last two months. I yeah, know. in it's, response it's, to you know. sexist criticism of the first film. I, I don't know. Or, or perhaps the filmmakers, the Russos and Drew Pierce, uh, wanted to make a Ghostbusters movie and pitched it. I, for one, am more interested and excited by the first film mm-hmm. with, with the women mm-hmm. than this one. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. I mean, I, it just seems early days. I don't know Maybe, what yeah. they've got in mind. I, I mean, I'm sort of averse to this notion of just announcing stuff. I mean, we haven't had the first one yet. I just like, let's just, you know, mm-hmm. let's just make it a bit more organic. I mean, I remember seeing, I saw Ghostbusters at the cinema uh, as a kid. It scared me witless. Um, it took five years for the sequel for Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Ghostbusters 2 took mm, five years. Exactly. It wasn't like in, it wasn't in the works. Yeah. I remember going to the cinema going, oh, well, I can see this and then hopefully within the next 12 months they'll, they'll get something in, you know, green lead. Yeah. And, and you know, in production so I can see the sequel and then maybe there'll be a spin-off. Maybe there'll be like a Ghostbusters megaverse, spectral verse I could really get into as a small child. I mean, wasn't there a... Wasn't the real joy of Ghostbusters actually the characters and the interaction between the characters? Yeah. So the idea of a shared universe is less appealing to me than it might be for some franchises because it's not actually the ghosts I'm excited about. No. I don't care about them. No, I don't think anyone really particularly... I think that's not the crux of why people love Ghostbusters. And I I think Ghostbusters is something that's taken a long time to reach this point where it's something that everyone looks at affectionately. Mm. Um, Although I enjoyed it very much at the time, it's it's become more than that since then because it's got this, you know, this great dynamic between the the four guys, five guys um, at the core. Um, Yeah. And Sigourney Weaver, don't forget. And of course Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. And I'm really intrigued to see what happens with this Paul Feig movie. Devin Faraci from Badass Digest was saying on Twitter this week that he's heard that the script at the moment, as things stand, is terrible. It's dreadful, yeah. Uh, which might explain why there's a bit of this, maybe. Who knows? You know, I've, I'm excited about that movie. But, 
you're absolutely right. One, of the, and we have. I don't realise we haven't even begun to answer the next question yet. But um, the, the thirty thousand, uh, the, the thirty. We'll, we'll hold your fire, Phil. We'll get on to that in a second. But yeah, the joy of Ghostbusters is Fankman, Stance, uh, Egon, and Sedmore. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued to see where this new cast are. Is playing characters of the same name, or are they, you know, are they fitting those same archetypes? I, I'm I'm intrigued to see how that all comes together. But you're absolutely right. Just get this one out. And see then, what happens. Yeah. Marvel announced things when they feel that they have a sure platform on which to build. You know, if you'll notice that their the confidence of their announcements over the years has grown as they know that there's an audience out there. Mm. You know, uh, they, they didn't announce everything in phase one all at once. They just, because if Thor and Captain America had, had flopped, then they would have been in big trouble. But yeah, this seems to be uh, counting your ghost chickens before they. Uh, uh, oh, what? Yeah. yeah. Ghost chickens. The ghost chickens, or you're counting your, your eggs before they hatch and, and mm-hmm. cook on your kitchen counter. That's a reference it, to the original film there. It's good, that. <laughs> very very clever, very clever. That was very good. Um, I would just say that, if, you know, from a commercial point of view, because we're always thinking about the commercial angle, um, if either <laughs> of these two films has a model to work from, it would be it would be the female-led Ghostbusters, which is obviously leveraging off the whole Bridesmaid's success a little bit with the chemistry and the, you know, and, and the same creative team behind it. The... Uh, that excites people probably more than whatever this nebulous other thing is yes. at this point. So I, I wouldn't. I would probably disagree with you a little bit on that regard. I would say that I think people are probably more excited by the first one. So. Also, also, I, I don't think it's been said anywhere that it's going to be an all guys Ghostbusters. It, it might has be said it will be male centric. Male centric. Interesting. I mean, to be honest, I'd be quite up for a co-ed Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that we need to, you know, uh, I want to see more women starring in films. Frankly, the, the percentages at the moment are horrifying. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we automatically need to completely gender bend every single cast. But I think it's interesting with something like Ghostbusters, where it is a group dynamic. We've had so many all-male groups, you know, fine, let's try the occasional all-female one. But it's also interesting to just mix it up and have women and men, this is a crazy idea, I know, working together like people. Um I just, I dream that dream. It seems. I dream a dream. <laughs> madness, Helen. It Absolute is madness. A bit. I know. I know. Uh, are you running in the general election? Because I think I'd vote for you. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> a, that's a platform yes. on which I could stand. I'm driving around in a pink bus. From, from <laughs> Helen's soapbox will be in Manchester <laughs> next week. And then following that, Glasgow and Edinburgh. And then she'll be turning it over and doing some laundry with it. Oh! oh. Hello. Shall we answer the question? Hey, sure, let's. <laughs> let's answer the question. Uh, so, just to recap, we we asked it ten minutes ago, but the answer, the question was: which classic movie, other than Ghostbusters, should get a remake with an all female cast? Here Helen. are my answers. Okay, okay. Office Space. Mm-hmm. Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Yes, Glen, Glen Gary, Glenda. No, Ross. Just Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Okay, okay. <laughs> and wait for it, Predator. Okay, get out. The most, <laughs> the most male movie ever I would like to see remade entirely with women. I wouldn't change a word of the script. No, fair enough. Would the Predator be a female? Well, no, we don't, we we don't, don't, we don't know. know that it's not a female already. It could have been a female. could have been a female. Female of the species is more deadly than the male, so Absolutely. wouldn't As, that be terrifying? I believe it was about Predator. It was made explicit <laughs> in the second uh, verse, which no one remembers, but it mentions Dutch and Billy. Who would you cast... <laughs> who 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 could possibly play a female? Never mind a female Arnold Schwarzenegger or yeah. Carl Weathers, but who could play a female Shane Black? Tina Fey. <laughs> Tina Fey. Yeah, Tina, Tina Fey. Is okay, Shane you Black. got me. Tina, okay, Tina Fey. Okay, all right. Okay. Okay. This I'll, is good. I'll be honest. I wouldn't even go the Gina Carano, Ronda Rousey 
Michelle Rude. Rodriguez. No, no, I just have like small normal people. But small, then arm, small but people. then arm wrestling. Like they are. It'd be brilliant. It's amazing. I actually would be. What? Well, yeah. All right. So Tina Fey as Hawkins. <laughs> this is extraordinary. That's it. That's all you need. That's all you need. Um, all right. Predator is a good one. Glengarry Glen Ross. Definitely. I was thinking about that. But you know, uh, it'd be interesting to see the Alec Baldwin scene. You know, when you need to sell real estate, you need brass balls to sell real estate. That would be. Yeah. That'd be interesting. You wouldn't change the the no. script of any of this stuff. No, wouldn't. Office space. There's actually genuinely no reason that couldn't be female led. Okay. You don't need to spice up office space. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't, you just don't need to. Did you see Michael Bolton this week on Funny or Die? I didn't see it, no. It's, it's something to be seen. Oh, it's is Michael Bolton. If, if for listeners Bolton, that don't know Office Space, there's a character in the film called Michael Bolton. And the fact that he's got the same name as the, the, uh, the, the early 90s uh, soul, uh, soul, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word, sensation, I guess, who at <laughs> the time. Yes. Lank-haired soul sensation Michael Bolton is a kind of recurring joke in the movie and uh, and Michael, the Michael Bolton has stepped into his shoes to play in the most meta thing, to play the guy. Mm. Michael that, Bolton? Yeah. Amazing. He has to say, why That's should cool. I change my name? He's the one that sucks <laughs> about himself. <laughs> but he manages to crowbar in like, but he's won Emmys. But he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very funny. One of the great things about the last few years is, is discovering Michael Bolton has a sense of humour. Yeah. Which the is Lonely great. Island yeah. thing is they, 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 genius. They haven't reprised it. He literally, they've just sort of cut him into the actual scenes. Yeah. So it's him up against... Um, Gary Cole. John, Mc, uh, John, John McGinley. And people like that. Yeah. Uh, John McGinley. Okay. Uh, when he comes in as the management consultant oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. says, I have to admit, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and he, like, <laughs> Michael Bolton's face is like, yes. <laughs> yes, you oh, are. So they, got, they got John McGinley back. No, no, no. It's the same, it's the same footage. They've just really? cut it. They've just cut the reverses with Michael Bolton in it. Yeah. Oh. It'll be in this week's Empire newsletter if you want to have a look. Or I'm, check I'm a out funnyordie.com. A huge fan of the Empire Newsletter. I subscribe. I get it every week. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I no, actually, I don't. I'm, I'm, I think I've fallen off the mailing list, uh, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And you think Michael Bolton also has, you know, the, the voice is still intact. It's it's still there. I think that's important. Anyway, what are your what are your oh, picks? Oh, I was trying to distract you from that. My lack of my lack of good answers. I like Helen's answers. I the yeah. Dirty Dozen would be fun. I reckon. Okay. Again, Tina Fey. Just Tina Fey. Just Tina Fey in all the roles. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say in the... Maybe Tina Fey in the Charles Bronson role. Yes. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, I've been watching... uh, Speaking of Tina Fey rather than Charles Bronson, Uh I've been watching The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt this week and it is very good fun. Whenever I get my internet back, I've just moved flat. It's it's first on my list of things to do. After porn, obviously. Obviously, obviously. But then Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and then more porn. That's essentially my... Sounds like fun, Chris. And when am I supposed to be coming over again? (laughs) Well, that's an unfortunate unfortunate phrase, Phil, if ever there was one. Um, So, yeah, Dirty Dozen, I'm going to throw in John Carpenter's The Thing. That'd be very interesting as well. Uh, I'm going to throw in 12 Angry Men. It's interesting to me that um, when William Friedkin remade it for American TV a few years ago, it was still all male. Mm. I think the clue might be in the title there. True, but just change it to 12 angry people. And actually, if you think about it, a few good men kind of, you know, slightly included a woman, potentially, depending on how you define the few that they're talking about. So uh-huh. maybe uh-huh. they could have... Yeah. You know, because okay. Demi Moore. Yeah. But they're kind of also talking about the other ones, so the Marines uh-huh. on the base. So it's kind of 
Hi, you. Anyway, let's Would you want to watch a film called Little Men? There is a book called Little Men. It's a sequel to Little Women. It's one of them. Is there? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Good fact. I think that's successfully answered Nick E. Alden's question. Let's move on, shall we? If you want to have your question read out and then mangled, as that one was, uh, by us in the Empire Podcast, send in your tweets to us at Empire Magazine, literally at Empire Magazine. Hashtag is Empire Podcast, and you can Facebook us at uh, Empire Magazine, and you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for our first guest. Uh, he's far too modest to admit it, but Jim Parsons is perhaps the key reason why The Big Bang Theory has become the biggest comedy on US television, crafting a character for the ages as Dr. Sheldon Cooper. Uh, Parsons hasn't done that much movie work outside the show, but he stars in DreamWorks Animation's new movie, Home, which is out next week as a cute alien who comes to Earth and does cute things. I haven't seen it. I'm like just conquering guessing. the planet, Chris. Is that what he does? Yeah. Does he do it in a cute way, though? Well, actually, yes, but he does oh, right. conquer the planet. Let's okay. Not, you know. Nevertheless, Parsons dropped by our pod booth recently on the morning after the Oscars, which explains why none of us were in a fit state to talk to him. Luckily, Ali Plum, who had some sleep, stepped into the breach. Enjoy. So, I'm Ali from the Empire Podcast. You're Jim Parsons. We're here to talk about home, and I've just seen myself get horribly outclassed by other interviewers. No! They were in here before, and they were doing this party game that made me think, that's genius. No, it's not genius. It was horrible. Was it horrible? Yes, it was an electric shock ball. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you at all. You've been tortured as part of your interview. It was the very first interview in this building I've done. Wow. Yeah. I thought it was just a fun game like uh, Pass the Parcel, but instead it was you getting hurt. No, no. No, I didn't think it was fun at all. I kept smiling, but it was no, not a good time. Hooray. Welcome to England. Right, so, yes, we're here to talk about home, but yesterday, today-ish, was the Oscars, and it yes. feels strange that you're here. I, I feel like... Well, I wasn't up for one. Ah, so, so well, that, yeah, well, I agree. It's a big shame. Mm. It was really overlooked for my work in nothing. <laughs> to be fair, you were great in nothing. Thank you. Thank you. No one did it like I did. No, well, yeah, I just feel like you need to get more attention on that particular piece of work. It was very funny to be here for the Oscars. In fact, when I flew out, everyone was flying in, ah. like, if to L.A., and that actually felt good. It's like, this is too many people in town at the same time. So it was nice to leave. For me, it makes me think of your cameo in The Muppets, which I think if there were an Oscar for that, you... I could have been up for one. You should have been up for one. Yeah. Do you think, because your career is an incredible one, do you sometimes look back on the things that you've done and go, did I really do that? And was The Muppets moment one of them? Yes. Well, I mean, when you, when when I'm doing it is looking back, because when, when you're doing any of them, you're just kind of going through it and getting it done. But The Muppets... The Muppets was as close as to kind of pinch me while it was going on, though, as anything, just because I had truly, truly grown up on the Muppets. Like, that was very important viewing to me as a child. And their movies were very important to me. And I really thought that was kind of over. So the fact that there was a new Muppet movie being movie being made at all was the first surprise to me. And then to be asked to be in it was the second surprise. And honestly, the clincher, though, that took it over the top for amazement on my part was that they weren't they, they just wanted me to be the human form of a Muppet. I can't tell you how pleased that made me. Still does. I really can't believe it. 
I don't know that it's been done before. You know, I didn't know the day I showed up that I was going to sing that song you or didn't. pretend to sing. No. And so in my time in the trailer, in like the hour they were setting up for the shot, they gave me a boom box, an old-fashioned looking boom box with a cassette or probably a CD of the recorded. And I sat around and learned that song. It wasn't that hard to learn. And it's a great song. But still, I mean. But still, the pressure. It's yeah. It was such a good time. I just love the idea of your agent, because occasionally your agent has good news and bad news, that this be a good agent day going, Jim, you're going to like this one. Yeah. Would you like to be the human embodiment of a Muppet? Yes. Yeah. Do you think somebody would have said no? No. You don't? No, I don't think so. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I can't imagine it. But speaking of pinch me moments, I was so delighted to see that not only, obviously, did you work with Steve Martin on Home, but you are in the same room as Steve Martin when Barack Obama walks in... (laughs) During the recording of Home, yeah, and shakes by the hand. Yes, had you met him before? Was this a, a oh no, Steve or Obama? Well, Steve, hey, I'd met before. Obama, no. Oh my God, no. And in fact, it makes the day kind of a blur. To be honest with you, in all seriousness, I never dreamed of meeting a president, sitting or otherwise, and it was very much one of those. That's all I did was think, it's the president, it's the president, it's the president. Because people are like, what did he talk about? What was he like? And I really don't have much to offer because I was kind of stunned. I will tell you the one thing I noted, he was so at ease. And that's comforting as the leader of, of our nation that he was at ease around his citizenry. But but I, it wouldn't have to be so. I guarantee you there have been presidents that were awkward in surrounding. You know what I mean? Yeah. This was not his turf. I mean, it's America, so it was his turf. But it was a recording studio at DreamWorks, and he he had no reason to be overly comfortable there. I mean, other than all the Secret Service around, which maybe maybe that's the trick. Yes. Maybe that's the trick to cutting awkward out of your life, to employ a bunch of gun-toting, really smart security guards. I wonder whether that's in many self-esteem books, that feeling, uh, you know, the paragraph that goes, if all else fails, make sure you have security guards and right. you are the president of the free world. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does say something subconsciously to you, even if you are going, no, no, I, I, I'm the same. I haven't changed. Well, there's a lot of people guarding you with weaponry, so something's changed. So what is Steve Martin? Uh, well, that's true. <laughs> yes, I haven't mentioned Steve once. You're right. Even I just like, Steve who? But you spend, I, I guess, a decent amount of time. This I spend a decent amount of time with Steve's wonderful. Steve, St- working with Steve was insane because... He is, I guess I would say, one of the most brave, creative people. I've. His ability and willingness to fly off script, to fly off into anything, noises and movements and just it just rolls with it and, it and and it reeks of this lack of fear of failure you know it's it doesn't reek of i won't fail it reeks of i don't care mm. we won't know until we try and that's really that's really a, a an impressive quality to have I'm not working with him just talking with him backstage he's he's a real force of gravity he's actually comes off so intelligent and really um just solid he's just a really almost professorial, you know. <laughs> I don't know if he'd think that wasn't a compliment. I mean, it's a compliment. Uh, but uh, that kind of smart and that kind of thoughtful. He's also got the hair. So there's a professorial yeah. thing there. That's true. On. And that calms you. Yeah, it does calm you. Mm. You do. You feel you feel at ease. When I first met him, he had just, he was currently serving on jury duty and really enjoying it. 
He was really enjoying it. Did he, did he tell you at all about the uh, case? He did, not in such a way that would have jeopardized his ability to make a proper judgment, I feel certain, but we did talk about the case a little bit. He was telling me why it was interesting. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, you just don't want the lawyer to get distracted. And half, oh, no, 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 halfway no. Halfway through, get a selfie. But see, but that does happen. I bet. And I was frankly surprised that Steve Martin would even get picked for jury duty. What is the equivalent over here, by the way? Is there a no, jury? we have jury duty. You have jury yeah. duty. Okay, okay. Um, we don't have an equivalent of Steve Martin, alas. Well, you have, like, what, Helen Mirren? He'll do. She'll do, even. She'll, She'll do. do. She'll do. When, when you say Steve Martin, what is the first thing you think of? Helen Mirren. You're damn right. Um, but we, we, she would be, it would be odd to see her on jury duty, no? Especially as she has played the queen. Oh. And she is the one person in the country who and is exempt from jury duty. Is she exempt? Yes, the queen is not allowed to Oh, oh of course. <laughs> That would be more distracting than Helen Mirren. Would you like to pass judgment? Let me turn my crown up. <laughs> What's, what does the jury say? The I'm just a peer. Just think of me as one of you. Uh, but you have, in this movie, we should talk about it, I guess, you have some, I was about to say lyrics, and I suppose that's fair, but you have some lines which are pretty tricky to say, but you aren't somebody who's not used to tricky lines. No, it is a different level of tricky, though. You know, my tricky's more used to, like, what does this science term mean? That's the day job. And this one was very much the little alien speaks in kind of a broken English. It's Yoda-ease, but not. It is, yeah, there is a touch of the Yoda to it. You're right. It was really the hardest part of the entire process, which was a very enjoyable process. But I would self-correct into proper English these things. that No, 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 he's getting it wrong. Oh, yes, okay, he is. Do's instead of does, you know, extra S's, thanking you instead of thank you. Your brain's going, that's a double negative. That's a passive Well, it really is, though. You don't yeah. realize, I don't even consider myself overly well-read, but enough, apparently, that it drives your brain crazy. But they show you those examples on the internet all the time where they're like, you can read things with missing so many letters because your brain just takes care of it for you. You're right, because they swap like a C and a K around. And yes, or leave out an O or whatever. Rihanna, was that a, a life checklist tick next to Rihanna there? Because <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess one that I didn't know I had. Yeah. You know, meeting Rihanna was not on the bucket, but it was at the same time. That, that was amazing. That was, uh, you don't normally meet people, I don't at least, who are so severely popular in the music <laughs> world, especially, you know, it's severely really not my popular. crowd. And um, and then to meet in a recording studio, I know she wasn't recording an album, but it didn't help my comfort <laughs> level going in because it felt like her turf, you know what I mean? Uh, she, however, is just about as warm and as personable as anybody I've run into. And, uh, you know, she doesn't have to be. She she would, could still get the job without being that nice, but she is. And she's very funny, and she was very quick to talk to. And it was, it was neat. And she does a tremendous job in this movie. Yeah. Uh, her voice which is so unique in music, is equally as unique in this. There's, a, there's this beautiful combination of a real mature groundedness about it, which, again, is in her music. And then there's these other parts where there's this really uh, sad vulnerability to it, and uh, it's very moving. She does a wonderful job. She is annoyingly talented. She is annoying and not bad-looking to boot. Yeah, I know. I, I, you know what? I think she's going to go far. She, she might. She'll be okay. Um, but I, I want to talk to you about something a little bit off the beaten track. Big Bang Theory, that's yes. a TV show that exists. Home, this is a film that exists. Mm -hmm. From your back catalogue, from what you've done in, in previous times in your life, mm -hmm. is there anything that you'd like people to possibly pick out couple of things that you think, you know what, people don't talk to me about this enough, and I'm really proud of my work there, and I'd like people to go and see it. 
The, uh, this is strange. The only thing that's coming to me is something that no one would ever think to talk about, and I don't know what I would talk about with it necessarily. I guess I could find out. Do you know? Do you know much uh, Samuel Beckett stuff at all? Not really. Not really. Oh, anyway, I did a production of one of his plays, Endgame, in, in, in this warehouse I've in seen Houston. That. You have. I have seen. You've Endgame. seen Endgame. I played the manservant, oh. um, and. I was, it's it's my favorite play I've ever done. It's my favorite play I've ever read. It was a, a really important experience for me. And it took place in this warehouse, this artist warehouse down in Houston. And the only thing about it, and this is not a deep part of the story, but I remember my mother at the time was like, oh, Jim, that place, you could find dirty needles in that place. And sure enough, we were cleaning up for the, First production, <laughs> yeah, and found some dirty needles. It was an artist warehouse. Stuff went on. If you're anything like me, it's it's not something you want to call up your mother and say, you're absolutely I right. I didn't tell her that one. Yeah. I mean, I guess inadvertently I have. Luckily, it's been almost 20 years. But I don't know. I, I, I guess I would say this about the experience. It, it was one example of the many examples of some of the strange, strange places I worked as an actor. And at the time, I was working in these strange places for little or no money at all just because I wanted to and to get the experience but I can't tell you how much benefit I got from working in a multitude of areas other than just a stage or something when you audition as you do for so many things in a broom closet or two feet away from some major star you've seen a thousand times and here you have to sit and read something or whatever it really helps to know, look, I've performed amidst dirty needles in a warehouse doing Samuel Beckett. I can handle reading a sitcom script in this broom closet with Kelsey Grammer, which was a true story. What sitcom was that? It only went on the air for a year, I think. He was he, he was producing it. He wasn't in it. And it was a wonderful script. Oh, I can't remember what it was called now. Anyway, but I really did go into a room no bigger than this studio, about the size of room closet. He was one of maybe five people in the room and he was sitting closer to me than you are now. And I'd never met him before and I'd watched him all of my life. And you're just like, are you kidding me? This is important to me. And you're going to stick somebody in front of me that's going to make me a wreck. But that's the way they roll. You know what I mean? Do they throw uh, an electrocuting ball at you? Everything but. It is trial by fire. Jesus, that will happen one day. Worryingly, that probably will happen. Trial by fire. Trial by they'll poke in you. this studio, apparently. They'll poke you with hot sticks. Yeah. You were also in a TV show. I don't think people. I know it was only a very small, small role. Wait, I'm not going to go too far into the black abyss here. But Ed. Oh yeah. I remember really, really liking. Did that you show. like Ed? Yes. I don't yeah, know. Ed stupid. was great. No, Ed was a wonderful show. I feel like it wasn't seen enough. No, Ed is one of those that I think could hint at one of those kind of, oh, was it before its time a little bit? You know, Ed would survive, although it did really well, but it it seems like one of those, like, that could find a a long-lasting home. Now, there's so many platforms and Mm. things for TV shows, but that was my very first TV work, actually. I was a park ranger in one scene. And look at you now. And look at me now. I'm (laughs) being electrocuted in a broom closet. Times have changed. They really have. You're a big sports fan as well. I am. You're in London at exactly the wrong time for Wimbledon. 
Yes. Are you coming this year? Is that on I your- want to. It depends on, on work. You know, it really does. If I'm shooting something at the time, I would love to. I would especially love uh, Jeannie Bouchard is the one player that I'm actually friends with. And I would. that's who I came to see last year. And oh my God, that was one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. I mean, it just this, the planets really aligned. I showed up in time for her second round match and was like, well, I'm here for a few days. So if she wins, I'll get to see another one. And then she got all the way to the fourth round. I was like, well, where am I going? This, who do you have a chance to kind of tag along? And sure enough, went all the way to the finals. It was unbelievable. And she and her mother and her coach at the time were so gracious. And I always got to sit in the player's box and... I, I just, it really was for me probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience to, to watch a, a professional tennis player sandwich between her mother and her coach as she plays all the way through the finals of Wimbledon. Unbelievable. And did you have good, t- did you have good time? I sound like, um, <laughs> oh, did you have gooding time? Uh, no, but did you have a good time in London when you weren't, like, watching tennis? Yes, although I have to tell you, for as little as I've gotten to do on this trip in the middle of February... <laughs> I'm actually enjoying London more, London itself more in February. It was so packed in the summer. This oh, yeah. place is this place is like Disneyland in the summer now. <laughs> and I hadn't been here in about eight years since I came for Wimbledon, and it's much more crowded now than it was then. Do you find just as much in the U.S. as the U.K. people will just walk up to you? Because you are a very personable person. Uh, you know what's funny here? It's other people visiting, like fellow tourists. They will come up to me. No way. The people who live here are very reserved with it. Like, well, you'll see some people who go, oh, I, and you can tell they kind of recognize you. Yeah. They don't bother to come up. I like, I, I'm pleased at Britain. Are you? You're proud yes. of your home people. I'm very happy they didn't go, Hi. Well, they're very nice, too. The people here are very nice. This is service with a smile. <laughs> it is. I'll take that. I'll take it. Sir, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for really coming talk in. to you. Thank you. Um, and next time, of course, I will not learn from my, my colleagues and, and won't bring an electric shocker. Yeah, really. It's the one thing on my CV. Does not electrocute interviewees. It's, um, a, it's a good way to get jobs. Thanks, man. Um, thank you. Thank you. I interviewed him for Pint of Milk recently, Jim Parsons, yeah. and he is a blast. Yeah, he's, he's lovely. absolutely nothing like Sheldon Cooper whatsoever. The voice is similar, though. His voice is similar. He looks a bit yeah. like him as well. He does look like him. Yeah, but but much better dressed. He's actually three feet smaller than <laughs> Sheldon. It's all CGI. Shall we discuss the movie news? Go on, I think we discussed the hell out of the uh, Ghostbusters yeah. news. Uh, so let's start with, um, in more sequel news that we're happy about, the news that Tron 3... <laughs> What? Sorry. Tron 3 is happening. Uh, it is happening and it, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's, it's happening and it's coming and it starts filming in October and Joseph Kaczynski is going to direct it and Garrett Hedlund is, is going to star in it and he's probably Thank happy goodness. about that. Yeah, wow. he's, oh God. Would you say it's unlike Donkey Kong? I would say that, yes. Mm. Unlike Donkey that. Tron? No, that doesn't work either. Oh, it's unlike Tron. I'm, yes, worth mentioning first off that the... Tron Legacy was in fact a sequel so it's not a sequel to a reboot yes. this is the third film this is the third film which means that fans of the myth arc mm-hmm. of Tron World <laughs> yeah. will be excited by this yes. news because we'll get to explore it in more detail yes. how, how many of those are there at last count? four mm. one of them slipped into a coma during the second film <laughs> I mean this is a surprise the, the last film was 2010 that was released and uh-huh. it's uh 
It made 400 million worldwide. It did. That's, which is good. Yeah, very good. Yeah. But it was quite a substantial budget. So yes. that wasn't a massive win. That was a, the estimates I'm looking at right now are 170 million for the budget. Mm. Uh, if you, you know, you generally have to sort of double that to, to get your sort of your marketing costs and everything included. Well, Michael Sheen's wigs alone would have cost well, exactly. 100. So mm-hmm. that, so that takes you to essentially what, 340. So it, you know, it made a profit, but not a huge one. And I'm not sure who's clamouring for this five years on. It's a, it's an odd yeah. choice to me. I mean, gorgeous looking. The soundtrack last time was incredible. I don't think any of us had a bad word to say about that. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's still, you know, the the potential to do something really cool here. But it would need a bit better, you know, story I f- yeah, first. Right? I feel it's missed its window in the zeitgeist, this one. And I'll be proven wrong when it comes out in 2016 <laughs> and makes a billion and wins 10 Oscars. But mm-hmm. just for, for me, it feels like it's, it's just kind of missed the boat a little bit. I don't think there was a lot of excitement. Tron Legacy wasn't a particularly well-liked or well-received film, despite making that much money around the, around the world. But if you were going to do a sequel, do it right away. Mm, do it right away. Right away, so people actually remember the characters. I don't remember a single thing about the, the, the last movie, apart from the fact that Jeff Bridges was in it playing essentially the dude the, the, the dude the dude the dude um, a man hey, who dude. sleeps yeah <laughs> a man who sleeps on grass overnight and gets wet in the morning yeah um, that's the man the dude entirely practical effects I gather all, <laughs> all sets set based that's why it was so expensive they literally built Tron World they built Tron World yeah it's it, it Mm. I mean, Joseph Kaczynski has a. If he, he does have a very, very particular sort of design aesthetic. It's all. He does. All sorts of former architect. Sharp. You can tell his films are like these amazing constructs. Oblivion was like kind of the closest thing you can see to Apple Store, the movie. <laughs> um, and and Tron World, it will be spectacular. I wonder if they'll revert to the 3D. That was kind of That's quite an important. So. I mean, it, it, <laughs> we can only dream. It was. Uh, it kind of came at the exact moment, didn't it, Tron Legacy, as of the 3D resurgence, yes. which is subsequently seems to have sort of faded away. Mm. Desurgence. <laughs> yeah, desurged quite profoundly. So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be one of these sort of immersive avatar type experiences, wasn't it? But they forgot to have a decent story. Um, maybe if they can rectify that, great, I suppose. I genuinely don't remember much about the film. No. Can anyone give me a quick three-line... Um, summary of the plot man goes to Tron World comes back later <laughs> sounds good or the to me. same time I don't it depends on sort of elasticity of the timelines seem to remember the last film ended with Garrett Hedlund's character who is beloved and we all know his name um, and Sam. he that's it and he he erupted out of Tron World didn't he with Olivia Wilde's character Kwamura 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 it's something like that isn't it Kwamura it was yeah. Kwamura or was it? There was Qu- a cue involved. Yeah. There. If you know the answer to this, readers, write in. <laughs> if you, yeah. And uh, and they were they were in the real world, and which is weird because she was like not real and stuff. Um, so it was blowing your mind. And I think Killian Murphy was knocking around, being quite evil and stuff. He's going to be back in a bigger role for this one. I understand. Okay, Killian Murphy. So it's just yeah yeah. I just hope that this isn't a situation. For example, we were talking about this yesterday in terms of contractual obligation and actors and actresses sign out the contracts and then maybe think that that franchise has gone away and yeah. the career moves on to a different place mm-hmm. and Garrett Hedlund's career has moved on to a different place. He's done a lot of arty stuff recently. Obviously, he signed on for, for Pan and any subsequent sequels that come uh, after that film as well. But, you know, when you have an actor who maybe, and I'm not saying he doesn't want to come back, but I'm just speculating, when you have an actor who maybe doesn't want to come back, for mm. example, possibly 
Logan Lerman and the Percy Jackson sequels. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have that thing where maybe they're not quite into it that much. And then you have those interviews where they're Miles I'm really delighted to be back doing this. Absolutely. This is wonder uh, help, help help me. Shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> that was so weird that you just said Miles Teller for I no don't know why sorry that was discussion. I just just came out. Why did you say that? Miles Teller. I don't know. I don't know Miles Teller. Um yes. <laughs> Killian Murphy, it's weird, isn't it? Because you have this in your contract that you have to return, but then you'd assume that it's gone forever. Yeah. And then you get a phone call one day saying, right, in October you're doing Tron... Yeah. Thregacy or whatever it's going to be called. <laughs> Probably need to wear that title. And, you know, see you on set. And you'd be like, Christ, I want to do more Peaky Blinders. Do you think any of them went... Hang on. Woohoo! Hang on, was I under... Was I in the last one? <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I forgot. Yeah, honestly, can you just tell me was I in the last movie? Uh, so Tron Three. <laughs> yes, so Tron Three is coming out uh, next year, isn't it? Something like no, that. no. Yeah, they can't do. They can't, they can't shooting turn in October. They can't turn around that fast. They've got to build the sets, and that takes a long time. It takes a long. It takes a very long, long time. time. I think we'll we'll see it twenty seventeen. Okay. Imagine. Dumbo. Yay, Dumbo. That's not a very nice thing to say. Sorry, I'm just in a sort of hard-hitting kind of mood. Um, I've gone full Clarkson. Um, Dumbo. Yeah. So uh, Disney are really ramping up this live actionification, that's a word, yeah. of their animated back catalogue. So yeah. we have uh, so Maleficent. Yes. Cinderella's just about to come out. We've yeah. got Beauty and the Beast, which is just about to start shooting with, uh, you know, it's excellent cast we have uh, John Favreau's The Jungle Book uh, which is coming out at the end of the year and then uh, we also now have Tim Burton directing Dumbo yeah he, he, of course he already did Alice um, which of course was, he did which yeah, began the whole caboodle began the whole caboodle yeah. Um, so yeah he's doing Dumbo which is uh, an interesting choice obviously the original film if you've seen it and you really should have it's only about 65 minutes long and it's completely charming it is John Lasseter's favourite film ever and if that isn't a recommendation I don't know what is um, his second film favourite film his second favourite Hellraiser Hellraiser <laughs> Hellraiser 2 Hellbound he loves that one I thought it was Harold and Kumar get the munchies damn <laughs> what is it I don't know. Oh. <laughs> if you're John Luster, call it. <laughs> Please explain what happened to Tron Legacy to us. Um, anyway, anyway, Dumbo, um, a baby elephant is born with enormous ears and, uh, and he suffers bullying as a result no. because people are mean about yeah. his ginormous ears. And then it discovers, uh, Phil is currently gesturing at his own, then he discovers that he can actually fly by flapping his ears, um, defying all laws of you know, aerodynamics, I have to tell you, but whatever. Uh, Dumbo can fly and it's wonderful and uh, and he even wins over some crows and he does it all with the help of a little magic feather um, and it's 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 heartwarming stuff. There's some really, really kind of dark, tough, dark stuff though mm. as well. His mother at one point when, when trying to protect Dumbo from being bullied um, is essentially abused and locked up by their circus owners and it's, it's really like there's some real darkness in there. Maybe that's what appealed to Tim Burton, I don't know. Um, but one would like to think that he's more than a one-trick pony and can get the, the sweetness as well. One-trick elephant. He, yeah. he loves the circus, Tim Burton, obviously. He does, yeah. And he, of course... Started his career at Disney when it all went yeah. a bit pear shaped for him, and then he and now he's back really full yeah. circle. Um, the circle of oh, life, oh, yeah. Um, it's scripted by Aaron Kruger, I understand. Who, oh. who, yeah, who wrote the Transformers films, yeah. That's I don't want to say anything negative about it, but I mean, in his defense, he did write the rather decent, <laughs> damn it, with fan praise, isn't it? Arlington Road, yeah, Good but movie. yeah, his record since then is. 
patchy, I suppose, in terms of... How are they going to do it? Is it going to be like Favreau's Jungle Book where they have all these actors doing mocap or is it going to be <gasps> CG? Are they going to have mocap baby elephants? That could be it. That could be it. What? I don't know. Um, it could work. I, I, I do wonder if Burton's sensibility is a bit too dark. I don't necessarily see this as being a great fit for Dumbo. But, you know... I it could... seems like an odd one, but I mean, I'm guessing they're going to have to change it quite a bit anyway. It's going to be more than 65 minutes for a start. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting, given how little of the of the, the original film involves humans. Mm. I wonder if they'll amp up the human element and I would imagine they'll add in some human kids. Uh, you're shaking your head, Phil, but I would like put mm. money down that this is probably... You're happen. probably right. But um, I want to see Timothy the Mouse and I want to see... Casey Jr., the singing train, and I want to see yeah. elephants. Yeah. I don't really want to see humans. Well, we I had that know. one. Well, we had like water for elephants. Watch that if you want to see humans. <laughs> so, but I mean, if you're not adding in humans here, then why are you making it? Live I don't. Action? I don't know. All you're doing is yeah. is Dumbo all over again. I'm not sure. I love Dumbo. I think it's probably one of the very finest of all the Disney movies. Yeah, that's great. And I don't really understand why they need to remake it, but that's just me. Um, I wonder if it's going to be a musical. I wonder if they're going to keep the songs. Song, they better of, keep Casey Jr. Their, I'll tell you that. Well, most of their live action stuff so far has not mm. kept the songs. Mm. So um, I believe you know, the Jungle Book is, isn't, it? isn't that right? I haven't, I haven't come across the Jungle Book. Okay. Yeah, but um, obviously Cinderella, they haven't, for example. So yeah. Keeping um, the songs in the Jungle Book would be one really good way to, to differentiate it from the anti circus rival Jungle Book project which is also yes that might be the underway. thinking on that one I, you know I hope I hope it's great you know and Tim Burton has shown with big eyes recently that he can do something that's very un-Tim yeah. Burton-y and yeah and if you got some of the same tone and the same emotion of Big Fish which was also partly set in a circus or Edward Scissorhands or Edward Scissorhands yeah. this could be absolutely wonderful yeah yes I suppose that he at Dumbo is kind of an outsider isn't he so that plays mm. into the Tim Burton thing in a very big way so maybe there's a there's an entry point for him um, the Pink Elephants on Parade thing is like none more Burton I would absolutely. say <laughs> so uh, yeah who knows I mean don't get me wrong I'd love it to be great but I, it just seems like I don't know I think with a lot of these projects they don't really explain at the beginning they announce them they don't really explain you get that kind of like um, mission statement thing yeah. that you get in the press notes at the end of the process when the directors come around and they say, "We, I did it because of this and we did it because of that. You never get any of that. So you don't really know what the what the heart is, what the soul behind the project is and what the artistic goal is. Um, so it's always a bit difficult to, to get enthusiastic really early on with just a random remake news. But as mm. it comes together, maybe maybe it'll start to make a lot of sense and start to get exciting. Yeah. Uh, and good good on us as well for getting through that without once making a Johnny Depp joke. So I think we've we've shown growth as human beings. High fives. Woo. High fives all around. Come on, Phil. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Oh, hey, look at that. Jeremy Renner is going to be in Captain America Civil War. Yeah. So I guess your statements last week about him buying a farm. What? May be incorrect. Unless there's flashbacks. It could be flashbacks, let's be honest. But he has a farm. And he does have he, a he farm. He must have bought the farm at one point. Yes. And, and perhaps he already has. You know, knows? and if he's, I don't know, I wonder if we're going to see a scene where Hawkeye is at his farm in Age of Ultron yeah. and he's milking his cows and perhaps at some stage just to, you know, help the cows sure. get the milk into it, uh, into the receptacle, sure. he kicks the bucket just to... <laughs> What kicks it just under the other? Just kicks it under the others. Yeah. Just positions it. Just helps. Just helps it. Chris, I feel like, and just correct me if I'm wrong here. I feel like you're trying to tell me something. I don't know. I, honestly, I don't. I, I <laughs> honestly don't know anything. I'm just. I just think that at some point in the Marvel movies, someone big has to die, and because they've announced everybody, 
yeah. is going to be doing something else beyond Avengers Age of Ultron. Have they announced Hulk? Uh, they have not announced Ruffalo <laughs> for doing anything. They wouldn't, so, would they? And then they hadn't announced Renner. And so I thought, hang on, I'm just putting two and two together here. Ooh, what does that mean? What does that mean? But now they have announced him to be in Captain America Civil War. As you mentioned, could be flashbacks, but apparently he's going to be part of the, the superhero jamboree. Uh, so, you know, he seems to be he seems to be okay as well. But there is, a, I think there's a point here to be made about does the announcement of future projects inherently deflate tension? Yeah. You know, but do we go into Avengers Age of Ultron looking for tension? Do we? Or do we just go into it looking for an absolute blast? Uh, definitely the latter. I mean, a little bit the former wouldn't go amiss. Um, so, I know I agree. I think there there is a problem with, with announcing stuff so far in advance um, sometimes. And I actually quite liked it when Marvel was a little bit more restrained with their announcements, almost sort of two or three at a time and nothing beyond that. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I mean, none of us really thought they were going to kill Cap or Thor or Iron Man anyway. Mm-hmm. So... You know, and they faked out on Iron Man last time as well, just to really emphasise that the, he's not going to be the sacrificial lamb this time. Should there be a sacrificial lamb? And you know, given that Joss Whedon doesn't love his reputation as being a dealer of death <laughs> for beloved characters, maybe he will, you know, restrain himself. Yeah. So, hey, fingers crossed. If fingers everybody crossed. gets through this one alive. More, more power to you. Um, what else do we have this week? Anything you guys want to talk about? A couple about? of very quick things. There's a director been confirmed for. Toy Story 4 to co-direct obviously um, and that is Josh Cooley who will be co-directing with John Lasseter. Big promotion. Big promotion, He's yeah. a storyboard artist who worked on the Cars films. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say he was a chef who <laughs> just happened to be he was, just, he was working in the kitchen. Yeah. Working <laughs> as a Steven Seagal <laughs> style. In just a chef. Yeah, he's actually a storyboard artist. I mean, yeah. It's equally, equally useless in a, in a battleship siege. The, the storyboard artists at Pixar play a very big role, I think, in, in getting the, the tone and the, and the beats of a film right. So I think it's probably quite a good preparation for, for directing there. And in fairness to him, I would like to emphasise he didn't just work on Cars 2. There, there is also Up, Ratatouille and The Incredibles in there as well on his CV. And he's, he's done one of their shorts. Yeah, He did the short about the two... Um, the two... What's the word? Nursing home... Uh, sort of attendants who come to pick Carl up oh. in Up. Okay. Um, okay. So he directed that. So that's his only directing credit so far until now. But, you know, Pixar does like to kind of nurture people and, and train them up. So uh, so fingers crossed he'll live up to the high, high standards. Now, Pixar have a cafe, don't they? So there's no danger there that they would have a hard day animation and then there'd be no food and then that just fucking kicks off. <laughs> With, like, Lasseter weighing in. <laughs> Where are my macaroons, you wankers? <laughs> it seems Windmilling like in. They have a cereal yeah, bar and everything. Here comes Pete Doctor. I can't imagine John Lasseter saying the word wankers. I just can't. It's you can dream. If we ever have him on the podcast to see if we can we can get him to say it. He might get dumb by his head. He is yeah. the most on message person I have ever yeah. interviewed, mm. so I can't imagine that we'll He's succeed. An entirely you rated gentleman, so I'm not entirely sure. One small adjunct to that story, Josh Cooley's Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously not a big name at, at Pixar. So go follow him on Twitter. But alarmingly, he tweeted that he thought uh, The Equalizer was one of his films of the year. What do you mean alarmingly? Well, because it's not that good, is it? I mean, it's not bad, but it's not good either. I mean... Maybe he's just a really big Denzel fan. Okay. You think I'm judging him too harshly? Oh, I'm don't s- stare I'm, at me I'm like... staring at you super like... Super death stare. Like Robert McCall. Oh, is that what was happening? At a bad guy. You look Sweet at your watch, watch. Yeah. And then work out if you've got enough time to kill everyone in this yeah. room and then have a have a cuppa. 
17 seconds for your next comment. <laughs> for your next seconds. Choose your next witticism wisely. That indicate I've had some witticisms. Oh, yeah, that's okay, that's true. Um, Wait, one more story. Oh, one more. Uh, the, um, then bedtime. Uh, David Hasselhoff for sign up to Sharknado 3. Oh, that's not... Can we just not pretend that's not happening? Hmm. I mean... No. No, because I've just said it is. Oh, okay. Hey, Joe Carnahan is going to direct Motorcade which is a step up from his much-delayed film Stretch. So he's gone from one stretch limo to a whole presidential motorcade, which is apparently going to uh, come under attack from terrorists. Mm. Now, unlike yes. every other film where, where US presidents have been attacked recently, this one's going to happen in Los Angeles instead mm. of in Washington, D.C. Ah. Um, uh, but once again, it's a disgraced Secret Service agent in the right place at the right time. Rah, no. rah, rah. Um, so, you know, I, can, I can't imagine what's next, like truck convoy? You know, I'm not sure what he's kind of building to, but it feels like there's a, a definite vehicular progression here. I haven't seen Stretch yet. It's on Netflix US, so I might check it out. But yeah, Motorcade is a script that's been knocking around Hollywood for as long as I can remember, mm. and apparently is very, very good. And I like Joe Carnan as a director, so yes, well done. Stamp Rah. of approval. Fabuloso. Do you know about that? George Fabuloso, Lucas' yeah. stamps? Mm. George Lucas' stamp. So on The Phantom Menace, he had, uh, whenever he was approving storyboard art and concept art and whatnot, he would have two stamps. And uh, one, if he liked the art, he would stamp it on the on the, on the the picture and it would say, Fabuloso. If he didn't like it, boom, deep regret. Yeah. Which film is this for? The Phantom Menace. Did he and get his stamps mixed didn't. up throughout the entire process? <sighs> Phil, Phil, you're what? just antagonizing me, man. You're, you're hitting me where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he had a third one that says okay. Yeah, this is adequate. <laughs> I could, but I'm just looking at the, the logistics of that. You, you can hold deep regret in one hand, the fabulous one in the other. But what was he doing? Where did he put okay? Well, maybe he doesn't have to hold them at all times. <laughs> maybe he has a desk. It's going to explain why it takes so long to write the scripts. <laughs> it's like, I can only do one finger at a time. Um, anyway, should we move on? Let's, do. Let's move on. I think okay. past time. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. I think that's about right. Uh, yes, that's the breaking news klaxon. We are back in the pod booth on Friday morning. Ali, Helen, hello. Hello. Uh, because there's some really big news broke over overnight. Uh, some of it very, very sad. Some of it not so sad. Let's start with the um, the good news first, shall we? Should yeah. we go that way? The good news is that uh, yesterday Disney announced, just in time for the podcast, that uh, Frozen 2 is happening. Hooray! Hooray! Do you want to build a snowman? Again. Another one. Let it go. Again. <laughs> there we go. Etc. Etc. Uh, so that's that's big news. Uh, it that's is, exciting, yeah. isn't it? That's good. We're going to run out of words that rhyme with snow and freezing and sleet and hail and... You know, will Frozone make a cameo? Oh, oh, that would be brilliant. But no, no. Uh, but I do think it, it could be really interesting. I mean, hey, maybe this time Anna will have powers just to kind of oh. mix things up. Do you know, I thought that's where the film was going to go. Yeah, me too. And it didn't. And more power to Frozen for that. I'm going to say something controversial. Do it. I thought the songs in Frozen were a bit rubbish. <gasps> So hopefully, I would say every child in the world would disagree with you. I know this, so. every child in the world right now who <laughs> listens to this podcast is furious, going, "Bad, bad mannered children." Really bad mannered children. Mm. Um, I think it should be a really, really, really hot summer, long hot summer, and she. Anna mm -hmm. goes away in a half, mega half. She <gasps> develops fire powers. Fire powers! <gasps> She's in the volcano somewhere, like uh -huh. really angry. Well, like Bond villain. Yes. Okay. Good. It's up to the other one. Elsa. Elsa. 
Elsa Voice by Adele the same thing. Wickedly <laughs> talented. To go and save her from herself. And then it's called Frozen 2 and another thing. So you have Olaf, voiced by the irrepressible Josh Gad, uh, who goes uh, to the volcano. Mm. But in like... A, like, a, like a protective suit? It's Olaf versus the volcano. Oh my God. Actually, subtitle. that would be the subtitle to go for. But I'll be honest, that sounds exactly like the first one, except you've replaced snow with volcano. <laughs> and um, the characters. Yeah. Swap yeah. them round. Mm, but I'm, I'm still going to say no on that one. Uh, this is not a surprise, of course, no. because the first Frozen is absolutely huge. I think it's the fourth biggest film of all time. What, 1.2 or 3 billion at the box office? 1.3, and, yeah. Uh, and Maybe even 1.4. Over, over 10 million, I th- 10 billion, sorry, I think, in merchandise at this point. And counting. And counting. Uh, that, that figure is Wait. two hours old, so it may be... We've just hit 11 billion. <laughs> there you go. We've just hit it, everybody. <laughs> uh, this is not a surprise. Disney don't do a lot of theatrical sequels. True. But when you have a billion dollars just sitting there and everyone loves it, uh, all the kids love it. You know what's cool? Yeah. A billion dollars, Chris. Oh, that's really cool. You realise that this is being done by Disney Tunes, the guys that did, you know, Bambi 2 and... No, I can't remember No, you can't, yeah. (laughs) It is, of course, being directed by the same directors as last time. Yes. Um, Chris Lee and Jennifer Buck. Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee. Other way around, yes. There we go. (laughs) go. And uh, so, uh, you know, they haven't announced the cast yet, but honestly, why would you not come back? I mean, you can record in your pyjamas. It doesn't matter if you're (laughs) pregnant or doing other things. You can fit it around the edges, like, you know, and and it's going to make a huge amount of money. Yes. I think they should give Elsa a new dress so that people can spend even more money. (laughs) A new dress and fire powers. That's what yes. we want. Okay. And more Adele to seem. Uh, any chance for John Defoe to come back to the Oscars and, and ball Adele to seem's face? Um, well, it's his good. turn. It's, it's his <laughs> turn, isn't it? Name or face, I say. Name he or face. Be, what would you like to be mauled? He could be in it. We know Trafalda can sing. Why yeah. not? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll go for that. I'm, uh, that's my that's my big contribution. I enjoyed to him in Hairspray. And his, as uh, yes, but also... Hairspray, good. Okay. Yes. Let's move on to another bit of good news, which came out last night. A bit of a Star Wars flurry. So there was an announcement that there is a... Well, we know there's a standalone Star Wars movie directed by Gareth Edwards, which comes out in December 2016. But now we know that it has a star. Officially, Felicity Jones has been confirmed as the star, or one of the stars. I imagine there might be more people in it than just her. Probably. That would be a bold move. That would be crazy. Um, (laughs) That would be weird. And it's got a title. Rogue One. Yes. Rogue One. One person. Felicity Jones. That's it. Rogue One Woman Show. It's a one act, one act, one man play. It's a Star Wars version of the vagina monologues. Is it though? No. Okay. I'm guessing not. Speculation. Mm-hmm. We'll pack it in quickly because sure. we've got a lot, of, a lot to get through. So speculation uh, is people are going Rogue One. What does that mean? Rogue Squadron? You know the you know the X-wing fighter pilots. This is like a a wedge and Tilly's thing. Is Rogue One a call sign? Is you know uh, is she playing Princess Leia? But we don't know. None of us know. But Rogue One could refer to Felicity Jones' character, who could be a rogue one going off on her own and doing roguish things. <laughs> a roguey one. Yeah. Oh, you roguey one. As in like kind of a fantasy novel type thing. She has long blades and the side of her leather boots and she has plaited hair and a mm-hmm. leather codpiece or whatever and she goes around knifing people. Yes? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, it, so it could be Rogue Squadron, um, mm-hmm. which has had an extended universe life. Wedge Antilles was Rogue One in a single book. Usually it's Rogue Leader. Well, Rogue um, Leader is also referred to as Rogue One. So you, by, just by... OK, but it's only been used about yeah. Wedge Antilles once. Apparently that phrase, it was in Shadows of the Empire, mm-hmm. the book between the 
it was originally a canonical book between Empire and Jedi, mm-hmm. um, but who knows if it still stands up as canon or not. Uh, but yeah, there's loads and loads. Of, I mean, it'd be kind of cool to see some X-wing dogfighting. That would be kind of cool. But there's there's more speculation that it might be a sort of bounty hunters crew, a sort mm-hmm. of Star Wars rebels kind of a feel, possibly stealing the plans to the Death Star, yeah, which I thought involved boffin spies. So. No, no, that was the second Death Star. The first Death Star, we don't know how Leia got those plans. We don't know how, but uh, but the speculation is that she would be playing Princess Leia, uh, who is involved somehow with the, the plot to steal the, the plans of the first Death Star. So there you go. Hmm. She could be a good Leia. She would be a very good Leia. There's only one Princess Leia. My my concern about this, though, is I think I've said this before, but it does it make I, I lament the fact that she's in this movie because it means we won't get to see her as Felicia Hardy. In, <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, had something in my throat there. Um, spider something. Spider spider. Another Star Wars news is that uh, Ryan Johnson's Star Wars Episode Eight is not coming out in 2018 as we all thought it might, or even the end of 2017 as we thought it may be. Uh, could do but they brought it forward that was an elegant sentence um, well, they brought it forward to May 26th Sixth. May 26th 2017 just a year and a half or as one of our followers on Twitter pointed out that's like 161 days they counted wow 161 days will separate episode 7 wait, wait, Force wait. Awakens that can't be right and episode 8 161 days no it can't no, be that, no it's 161 days between Rogue One that's right yes and All right. episode 8 okay that's just staffed, isn't it? All right, so more than 161 days will separate uh, episode seven and episode eight. Numbers. Crazy. But, but it is but the shortest only gap. a year and a half, yeah, yeah, which is still the shortest gap, which is, um, which is a, a heck of a production schedule. Um, I would be kind of prepared to put money down that that's a Friday, May 26th. I would imagine in this country at least it's going to be pulled <laughs> forward a day, isn't it, to the 40th anniversary of the original film's you would release? Think, you would think I so. mean, it's got to be. Yeah. May 25th is is Geek Day and, uh, you Mm. know, they should celebrate that in the appropriate manner. Um, It is of... It is Geek Day. It's the glorious 25th. It's Towel Day and it's Star Wars Day. So, you know, it would make sense. And one very, very quick thing to mention about Star Wars, uh, in this case, Rogue One, is that the it comes from an idea from John Knoll, the uh, effects legend, ILM Big Cheese, John Knoll, um, who I can only imagine was having a conversation with fellow effects head Gareth Edwards and maybe they got talking about hey wouldn't it be cool if and blah 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 which is interesting to me but also and this will blow your mind uh, Ian Freer who's forgotten more about Star Wars than anyone at Empire will ever know mm. uh, said yesterday uh, incredible tidbit this that John Knoll and his brother Thomas and their sister Grassy co-developed Photoshop doesn't that blow your mind? that's pretty cool that blows your mind there you go. There's an interesting fact on which to end the good news. Because we have the bad news now, uh, as I'm sure everyone knows, the brilliant, legendary, great author Terry Pratchett passed away yesterday at the age of 66 after a, a short battle, it has to be said, with uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, Helen and Ali, you are both huge, huge fans of Terry Pratchett. I'm a fan of Terry Pratchett, but I haven't, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't read one of his books for a, probably a decade, but I loved uh, his books when I was... Uh, you know, in my teens, I would say you have you have missed out because I think in the last decade since his um, since his diagnosis, which I think he kept quiet for a while first. That's why mm. this all seems so fast. Yeah, but his writing style has changed and deepened, and and just it's still funny, it's still hilarious. Mm. The characters are still incredible, um, but there's there's more substance and depth than there ever was and there was to begin with Mm. I mean I would genuinely I think he's a modern Dickens I think he there is so much meat in his books as well as you know 
fluff and froth and, and really good and humor. jokes. Really good jokes. I mean, just great jokes. Nanny Og knew how to start spelling banana, but she didn't know how to stop. I mean, just you know, little stuff like that. She, he he was a brilliant, brilliant wordsmith, and he made these characters who just stay with you. So yeah, guide. It's been a tough couple of uh, weeks or. One was Lana Nimoy. It's been tough, 2015, and yesterday was really difficult. It was also press day for Empire, so there was a real... It was a funny old day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what's, I suppose, been the best thing about it is seeing everyone come out of the woodwork mm-hmm. saying, yeah. oh, didn't you know I'm the world's biggest fan? Mm-hmm. Because you are, and I think that's what's... One of the many reasons why Terry Pratchett is great is that even if you don't like fantasy and you're not a fantasy fan, which I feel is a, a rubbish term anyway, but... Yeah. I don't think I could be friends with somebody who couldn't get on with the Terry Pratchett book, frankly. Yes. <laughs> he's just, he's so great. And we had these jokes about having a Terry Pratchett podcast. Yeah. And I actually looked into them because I, I knew someone who knew someone and I said, you know, what would be the chances? And this was, what, last year, maybe last early year, last yeah. year? And I was politely told that he wasn't planning on having any public appearances. Mm. And you could, you could do a bit of maths there. Yeah. Mm. Though this wasn't a surprise, it was also a surprise, and it is very, very sad. Could talk about anything and everything. Which book do you like? What's your favourite quote? You know, all the easy articles online have been the ten best quotes about everything. And of course, mm. with a character called Death, who is Death, who speaks in block capitals, there are plenty of quotes about this. But really, what have we got to say? Other well, than that? it's very sad. I, I, th- I thought it was it was it was handled in a in a wonderfully elegant and very Pratchettian. Is that a phrase? Is that it a word? Be, yeah. It should be. It is, it is now way on. Sir Terry's yeah, Terry and Rob his official Twitter account which you know had the death coming to take Terry Pratchett by the hand and guide him into the next world and then it it, it, it simply sent, it ended with the end and I, I thought that was absolutely lovely I, I really don't have a, an explanation for why I paused I haven't stopped I paused reading Terry Pratchett books I don't really know why but you know I, I, I devoured the first eight or nine Discworld yeah. novels and then just stopped for some reason Good Omens I loved Good Omens, Good Omens. Just stopped. Um, so I need to pick that up again. I yeah. have the Long Earth uh, waiting for me, which isn't a Discworld novel, as we know. But um, uh, I'm very much looking forward to I that. I would, I would say. I mean, I think people sometimes, if you don't start with the Light Fantastic and the Color of Magic, I would say they're they're not representative of the rest of the series. Uh, in the last, again, in the last decade, the books have become much more centered on Ankhmore Pork, his his giant city. Um, it's sort of London, really, um, and and the cast of characters there. And I think, you know, he's just gone into more depth, and he's had characters grow and change and move on, and and in ways that I think a lot of you know supposedly serious literature mm. doesn't achieve. And I think uh, I honestly would put him against any Booker Prize nominee you, you care to name. I just think there is more humanity in his books mm. than you know, than any of those sort of supposedly serious literary uh, canon. And they're not really fantasy anymore. If you're if you're concerned that you're not sure you like fantasy, pick up one of the more recent ones. Pick up something like Going Postal, which is fantastical-ish, but barely. I mean, there's some trolls in it, but they're just ordinary citizens trying to get by. Uh, it, it, it's not really a thing. This is not something where there's a magic MacGuffin that's going to solve everything. But yeah, I mean, just, oh, just really fuck you, Alzheimer's. I mean, really. He's done so much great charity work. He had a, a sword made when he got knighted uh, out of the, out of a meteorite. He had the best laugh in the world and mm-hmm. this gorgeously squeaky voice, which I didn't know until like 10 years into reading him. And then it's like, I'm now reading the books with this... I can't do the voice. Little, <laughs> 
wispy, raspy, squeaky voice. It's fantastic. He always had his hat on. He looked amazing when his beard got white. Seen pictures of his office. And it's six screens, three by two, on top of each other. And by his desk, he had this massive uh, hourglass, death's hourglass. And he'd just turn it over when he wanted to get deadlines done. Also, he never stopped. Also, talking about expanded universes, when I think, oh, is this a good expanded universe? I was like, does it compare to Discworld? Because that's an expanded universe. Mm. We Free Men, Morrison, it goes on and on and on. Short stories. There are maps which show where you should start if you want to do the witches' stories or if you want to do the guard stories or if you want to do the death stories. And It's a community. And like I say, I, you're a friend of mine if you like Terry Pratchett. Mm. He gave a talk I saw at the, uh, the Oxford Union uh, oh, really? years ago when I was there and he uh, his talk had footnotes. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> and when he announced the footnote, there was a cheer that would have brought the roof down. He's hilarious and, uh, yeah, yeah, will be much missed. It was weird. I, I wrote essays when I was at school that just ripped Terry Pratchett off. Ridiculous. I mean, shamelessly ripped Terry Pratchett off. Three flower. Do you know Not what? quite that bad, but there was there was a there was a, a wizard with a pointy hat who was a bit hapless and got into it. Oh, it was you know, <laughs> luckily my English teacher didn't read Pratchett, and so <laughs> no idea. I was just ripping him off. I've just remembered he got me into Oxford. Um, one of the questions on the English paper was make a case for the inclusion of any author not on this paper. And I wrote about Terry Pratchett. <laughs> That's so great. And I still got in. So That's so great. So thank you, Sir Terry. That's that makes amazing. me so happy. That is amazing. And by all accounts, just the nicest guy in the world. So. Well, yeah, he, no, no one's going to say a bad word about him. No yeah. one's, and I'm not about to. But if you go to Discworld Emporium, where I've got a lot of tat, uh, good tat, no offence, uh, you can get an I are ain't dead little necklace that goes around your neck, which will mean something to people who like the witches' books. Anyway, the guy who set that up was a guy who met him in like 991 and said, look, I want to do like little models of the Discworld characters. And Terry said, sure, fine. But because Terry was so clever and he worked on another plane and he was so witty, not just written down, but all the time, that if you crossed him, he just didn't suffer fools gladly. And he writes in his, I'm so sorry to see you go, Terry, with this lovely image of a hat and he, he says how much he loved him. He just goes, yeah, I've had some good bollockings in my time, but no one can bollock better than Terry Pratchett. And I could see it if he could just boom out this silly old fool. And, and the Neil Gaiman piece, um, Terry Pratchett is not a jolly elf, um, yeah. which is in The Guardian. It was published last year. It's still online. Again, have a read of that because it, it gives you a, a hint of the man and, and a hint of how angry he was at his, his diagnosis um, and his illness and uh, how frustrating that was. And how he still kept on and wrote another, what, 10, 12, 14 yeah. books. I mean, uh, he was incredibly prolific. Um, I think we have one more Discworld book to come that he finished last summer. So um, can't wait to read it. You did say that he had two diseases. One was Alzheimer's and the other one was knowing that he had Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Hollywood might finally take notice of Pratchett now? I honestly don't think it translates. Uh, I don't know. I say Hollywood. You know know what I mean. I mean there have been some. There have been some adaptations. They feel slightly mannered on screen. They don't work without his prose. Um, I I would love to be proved wrong. Please, somebody prove me wrong. But I haven't. I haven't seen one that totally works. Even the even the radio adaptation this Christmas of Good Omens, it it felt a little stilted. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not against the idea. Uh, I have daydreamed in my head. You know, when we first met Eric Idle, I know we're talking a lot about this, but when we met Eric Idle, do you remember me saying, almost in a not a question way, just going, by the way, whenever I read Rincewind, it's you because you did the games. So <laughs> there's a full stop at the end of that sentence. But anyway, when they did David Jason, it didn't work because he was too old and he was too short and he was too curmudgeonly. 
in my head, I thought Paul Bettany back in the day would have been a good rinse wind. And there, there is there are people who jump at the chance, mm. and it could be done really well. And you think it would have to be really high quality. Yeah, mm. it would have to be really high quality, really high end, but also at the same time very British and shit. Yes, it would. You know what I mean? It's got to be both. Really, really, I believe this world. There's a troll. You'd have to make a thousand things if you didn't act more pork. Well, yeah. Weirdly enough, the, the thing that I've seen recently that's come closest to kind of capturing what I think is a sort of freneticism and kind of the the the, the chaos of Agmore Pock um, would be Yonderland on oh, Sky yeah. One, which has this very, very similar, you know, I, I almost, I've almost in my head almost seen Discworld as humans interacting with puppets and, mm. you know, and everything's overloaded and it's quite crowded and, and, and Yonderland for me captures some of his point of view and some of his tone and some of his humour some of his energy um, yeah. and definitely some of the energy yeah. um, so you know I think it's it's, it's possible uh, but if you're talking about you know as you said shared universes and I'd love to see something like that on the big screen but yes uh, here's my resolution for this month I'm going to reread all the books I have read and read the ones I haven't uh, but yes indeed uh, Sir Terry Pratchett who died yesterday and now we return you to our regularly scheduled podcast programming uh let's have a second guest uh we've been big fans of Gemma artisan ever since her debut in the otherwise risible three and out have you ever seen that i have not no nope it's not good since then the british actress it's always good to slag off the films that people are in before we're doing the introduction since then the british actress though has always impressed whether it's in bond movies blockbusters or bracing brit indies like the disappearance of alice creed she pops up this week as a talking severed head in the dark ryan reynolds serial killer comedy the voices and phil and helen spoke to her about that and tried their best not to ask her to marry them because you know it's just tough it's tough. And I succeeded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but have you? Because, aha, spoiler warning, re- listeners, re-listeners, <laughs> we've recorded this bit before you've actually done the interview. I'm, so how do you know that you haven't asked her to marry I you? know it. I know it. Enjoy. Um, so, uh, The Voices. It is, I think it's fair to say, an odd film. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I don't know how to describe it. No. Is it, is it a serial killer rom-com? <laughs> I, I, it's, it's funny, I've been doing sort of daytime television interviews <laughs> today for this film and it's so inappropriate um is there like a breakfast tv kind of <laughs> synopsis yeah i mean it's so hard to describe it i think what they've been what everyone's been saying is it's a, a horror comedy mm. um it's definitely a horror movie but it's more it's a th- it's a thriller as well and i think the way it's been directed by marjan because because she doesn't like horror mm. actually she's sort of been through a lot of horror horrific things in her life so she's not you know she's not one to kind of want to show horror so actually getting her to direct it was quite inspired because she's much more about the suspense and there is it is horrific there are horror elements in it obviously but we don't see it's not as gory as you would imagine um in by today's standards anyway yeah i mean the uk poster is kind of apt i think actually but makes it look like it's Hmm. uh, funny but mm. why are these heads in the fridge and Anna Kendrick's in it? So you think, and Ryan Reynolds, so you think it might be kind of nice and sort of fun. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, that's why I love it, though. It's it's different and uh, refreshing. It's an unusual poster. And it's like the most horrifying Ikea ad. Yeah, it does. Just your head. And, and Anna my Kendrick's face head. is so photoshopped in it. It looks <laughs> like 
not even a real image. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's such an odd poster. It's intriguing. I mean, I no one made this film for it to be a big blockbuster Hollywood success. And actually, all of us made this film for the opposite reasons, actually. I mean, I know Ryan just wanted to get away from all of that. And, and so this film is sort of our own little secret love you know it's a little passion project for all of us and and if people see it we no one ever expected it to be a, a big hit but we did it think it'll be a cult film and i mean i've even from my, my benchmark is that my sister said it's the best film i've made and she is you know she's seen everything and she's probably <laughs> right because it's saying something it has a message that is really really touching and important and it's done it's hard to you know on breakfast telly and all of that like you can't talk about schizophrenia and and mental problems it's not something and the fact that it's a comedy is is quite tricky for, for people to take she explained that ryan reynolds's character has a talking cat uh, mr whiskers and bosco the talking dog who who command him one of them's sort of good on the that right shoulder devil, yeah. one's on the right shoulder one's on the left shoulder telling him and mr whiskers is kind of like something from an irving welsh nightmare um mm. telling him to do bad things it is um, totally irving welsh isn't it <laughs> has anyone ever asked you has anyone asked you on this press tour whether you're a talking cat person or a talking dog person i've got a cat and um cats they judge you and they 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 definitely have got an internal monologue going on and there's all of the, have you ever seen those things there's like um you know like what in in the mind of a cat and in the mind of a dog there's like these sort of monologues yeah and cat ones really sort of like conniving and bitter <laughs> and the dog ones just like i love you i love you give me food give me food and it's <laughs> totally what it is the cat's like oh if i have to eat another one of those little Biscuit things. Oh, f- <laughs> this? You bring me this? Bring <laughs> I've been me. sitting by the radiator all day. <laughs> I guess then you must have like friends and, and, and relatives who maybe don't keep abreast of everything you're doing all the time and then maybe see the posters for your films and call you up or text you and go, okay, <laughs> are you all right? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, you're just your head, Gemma. What's happened? I know. It, you- I quite like that, actually, because... Obviously, nobody, unless they're diehard fans, can watch everything you do. And for me, um, my, in the last couple of years, the films I've done have been more obscure or not have been on general release. Or um, And so they suddenly, <laughs> they suddenly see me, it's like totally unexpected, like a French <laughs> language movie or, you know, I like that. I, that's, that's good. Um, I would be... I hate to be in the same thing all the time. That's a big... Madame Bovary, you're referring to, obviously. Yeah. It's a French production, French language production, wasn't yes. it? And you lived in Paris and you speak French. Yeah. And hopefully will teach us some, some yeah. point today. <laughs> um, that, that was your first experience of being on a foreign language film. Was that... How, what was the sort of strangest experience you had in that environment? Just generally being around people and not knowing what they're saying, which was quite nice. And because on a film set, it's just talk, talk, talk all the time. What, what voices in your ear all the time? And I just was quite oblivious, and it was quite nice. And then if I heard Gemma, I'd go, "Oh, we... but that at that point, I didn't speak that much French. Now I do speak French." Um, 
it, I actually really like it. It's a different vibe. And um, in French cinema, it's sort of more low-key mm. and um, they have quite a self-sustaining industry so they don't need to kind of sell out in yeah. order to sell their films. And so it's a really, like, they just genuinely make the proper artists mm. making films. And I'm doing another French film this year and um, and that will be, I will be playing... I will be French in the film, so it's it's um, it's 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 a real challenge, obviously. But I, I just love I love it, and I've got over there. They've got a different sort of opinion to to me of, as to how I'm seen here or in the states, and so I've got the opportunity to play more interesting roles, and it's great. It's great. That's pretty awesome. I mean, looking at what Kristen Scott Thomas has done, had a dual yeah. career almost, and well, she's definitely played more interesting roles. Not in the recent years with her, but she's been typecast, I think, in her sort of Britishness mm. here and haughty and bitchy. And she's not. She's so much more than that. And in her French career, she's had so much more mm. options. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting. And they do also make probably more, I would say head for head, they make probably more kind of growing up thrillers, dramas, you know, human-focused films maybe yeah. than than the British film industry is managing at the well, moment? They met in France, they have, obviously, their comedy. They make a lot out of their comedies. Mm. They make many comedies. But the action movies and the side, you know, the CGI movies, they just rely on America to make yeah. those. And they all go and see those, you yeah. know. They're big hits in France. So the French cinema is drama and is thriller and is interesting scripts and... And uh, they can make whatever they want. They don't. They've got a lot of money, and they even give a lot of their money yeah. to British and British um, films with Pate and Canal Plus. So it's um, it's a great industry to work in. There's just so many more options. Mm. I mean, here we make like eighty films a year. There they make four hundred. Wow. And we don't even. They don't even have the option of selling onto America. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Here's something that's not as important, but it comes up weirdly often on the Empire podcast. The craft services. Yes. How is that on Madame Bovary? Oh, dear. Well, there's I mean, wine. Yeah, I'll tell really. You that. <laughs> on Madame Bovary, on Gemma Bovary, we had, um, at lunchtime, they, you, traditionally in France, you have an hour and a half lunch break, which is just a nightmare because everyone just gets tired and then in the afternoon, nobody can work. Whereas our director was clever and said, no, we're just going to... But there was wine, cheese board. Of course. But the best. I mean, usually in the UK, you've got like five cheeses that are really naff. <laughs> in in France, it was... I mean, it was. It was amazing. It was amazing. Did you I ever turn up for an afternoon scene just slushed. slightly shickered? There was one actor that was... A lot of the French actors have got a reputation for being alcoholics. And there was one actor in that film that was sloshed. And I had to go at him. I was like, not professional. You never find a British actor that does that. <laughs> <laughs> but they all do it. They're so like loose. They're just like this. Oh, I've got enough charisma anyway to just play myself. So why try harder? So I'm not trying. I'm not going to be. <laughs> they do. They always play themselves. Anyway. No, that's a very generalised... Some of my favourite actors are French, so um, 
you know. But yeah, it was it was quite bizarre. And obviously the crew then, they have a bit to drink and, you know, the electricians, they're just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Everything gets a bit slower in the afternoon. <laughs> That's not what it was like on Prince of Persia, was it? <laughs> no. Oh, God, no. Craft services on Prince of Persia was like juices and... <laughs> A clean cappuccinos. (laughs) A blood transfusion. Yeah. (laughs) We had William Fickner came and and told us about being on um, the Lone Ranger at Bruckheimer. And just how, like, you know, they were up in the, they were up, I don't know, New Mexico or something in the mountains, and there was just like fresh shrimp and they were just plucked from the ocean. Although we were shooting in Morocco during Ramadan, August heat. It was red hot. People not being able to eat or drink. But we didn't have any food either. There was just no food. It was really? Just no. At that point, we were in the desert. There was just nothing. It was like a, a, a malnourished chicken leg in a tagine. But it was really, there was just not, not no food. And that was, even Bruckheimer couldn't get the food Could out Could you there. not have eaten the ostriches? <laughs> Could have eaten those, I'm sure. Yeah, ostrich is quite sort of, um, it's, it's a... It's chicken, a tastes like chicken. Gamey. Yeah, isn't it? A little bit gamey. Gamey. <laughs> gamey, a bit more. Where do you keep your Lego Princess Tamina? Um, I actually have her... On I in my kitchen I've got like a little like island thing and there's two lights above it and I put her there on top of the light to look over the kitchen. Oh, <laughs> your guardian wow, Lego. Yeah. I love guard, her. Guard over the baking. I'd say it's one of the best things to come out of my career is that <laughs> Lego thing. I think if I could act and I was in some way <laughs> to an get actor, a Lego. I would want to be in films that would have Lego tie. Like Chris Pratt's got it made, yeah. hasn't he? He's in like four Lego-y things. Weirdly, it was Alfred Molina has three. Yes. Yeah, Alfred Molina. Pretty good going, you know? Yeah, so. get in Alfred Molina. Um, I wanted to ask about Hansel and Gretel because when that came out, there was a sequel was announced, but it's been a couple of years and it's all gone quiet. Do you know anything more than we do? I don't actually know anything. I think a lot of the time it was Jeremy's availability and he was just he's just been back to back with all the sequels that he's been doing and we just couldn't get it in and then I just feel like the momentum's gone and uh, yeah mm. I'm not that bothered to be <laughs> no it's funny we were just talking about they've just announced the Tron sequel five years after the last one you're like I think oh. I've I, I, if it comes up I have to do it because it's in my contract but I just don't know if it's going to happen <laughs> I don't know if Jeremy's got time if Tommy's got time to Tommy Wickelow is just working all the time now. So um, We were just sort of speculating about what it's like to be an actor, to have something in your contract which is sort of dormant and it may one day get... (laughs) (laughs) The phone rings one day and it's like, right, month boot camp, you're grettling up. Do you know what? It's like if I have a baby, for example, in the next couple of years, they might call up and say... You've got to be Gretel now. I'll be like, Jesus. Oh, God. It's in your mind always. But I, I don't know. I, I've been in so many films that have had the option of being, of having a sequel and they've never come into fruition. Yeah. So I doubt it's going to happen. Fair enough. It may, but I doubt it. I have a question about Quantum of Solace. Yes. Does it disappoint you that the Bond universe has moved away from that whole thing? Because I still really want to know what the heck happened at the end of that film and where it was all going. I don't even remember what happened. I think I've only ever seen it once. Right. At the premiere. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember. I mean... So if I don't ask you in-depth questions about... I think I was in the film too early. I wish I'd been in the film after. The Burning Hotel stuff? Skyfall. Yeah. Oh, Oh, I see what you mean in the Bond thing. I think they just got really good then, didn't they, in Skyfall? Skyfall was great. 
I thought mm. Quantum had its moments. I just didn't. I just felt like it was kind of leading up to something amazing that was going to happen in the next film, and then that, and then they sort I of abandoned it. I can't remember what happened. I know that the yeah the factory went and fl- a light right. Like yes, there's a hotel. An explosion in the desert. <laughs> Definitely. You guys, you were in it. You've seen it. Come on. I have seen it. Yes. Uh, yeah. well. Oh, well. <laughs> so, what's next for you? I mean, you've got the musical, I guess, for another. How many? How another much, month. Another month? Only a month? Wow. Yeah. And then what's up? What, what have you got coming I can't up? really discuss them because I think They're I can, but I can't and I don't know and I get in trouble. Ugh. I'm doing, um, I'm doing, uh, I think I can talk about them. One, one's called the L'Histoire d'Amour, which is a film, which isn't French actually, but it's a French production with John Hurt. And then I'm doing a film called... Um, uh, and then I'm doing a film with Paddy Constantine and Glenn Close, which is absolutely brilliant called um, She Who Brings Gifts and it's absolutely genius script and then um, I'm doing a film after that called Their Finest Hour and a Half with Lone Scherfig and then I'm doing another French film after that Wow Wow which is called Orpheline That is a very busy busy I know it's it's like back to back I think I've got a week off and and yeah, I, I think I'm shooting right up until, like, October. Crikey. Wow. But it's great stuff. And for me, I was a bit, you know, I've done all these movies and well, not the right thing and not my things I've wanted to do. And now I'm doing stuff that I really want to do. So this year for me is quite exciting. And um, it's quite nice because I sort of went away for a bit because I went off and did loads of theatre and you think that no one's ever going to want you back in films. And then... It's mm. the opposite. It's sort of you go away and people go, oh yeah. So um, yeah, I'm quite excited. All right. Well, good luck with all of that. Thank you. Um, I think Gemma Arden. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Lovely Gemma Arden. There. How was it, Helen and Phil? How was it the interview, which obviously happened before we did this bit? It good. will have been great. It was great. What? <laughs> I mean, he's got tenses straight here. Hey, it's time for the review section of the show where we review all the great new films around multiplexes this week. And believe me, it is a bumper week at the old multiplex. Um, we have all sorts of great and wonderful films for you to go and see. Um, Why don't I believe you? It's, it's a bounty, Helen. You know what it is? It's a bounty. I never liked bounties. Too much it's, coconut. Really? Mm. What's the taste of paradise? Or is that lilt? Both, possibly. Both. Mm. Bounty. Just anyway. Let's start with Run All Night, in which Liam Neeson and his estranged son go on the run from Ed Harris and his mob hitmen. Yes, this is essentially the same plot as Road to Perdition. This is exactly the same plot as yeah, Road to Perdition. Well, it's not set in the 30s. It is beat for, for beat. beat. And if yeah. you know Road to Perdition, uh, which admittedly was inspired by Lone Wolf and Cub, sure. then you don't need to see this film because no. it, it's... Everything that happens in Rogue Perdition is, is echoed in this movie. Yeah, I mean... Everything. It, yeah, it is. Uh, so the idea is uh, Liam Neeson is a washed-up hitman who works for uh, mob boss uh, Sean... I forget his name. Anyway, Sean, played by Ed Harris. <laughs> 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 Let's move on. Um, and uh, But he's kind of washed up. He doesn't really do anything anymore except drink and apparently fart in his sleep in pubs. So we learned mm. that early on. Just to make him look a little bit less of a cold-blooded reliable killer than Liam Neeson does in every other film he's made in the last five years. All is pretty well between them until Liam Neeson kills Ed Harris's son, <gasps> defending his own son, Joel Kinnaman, who's witnessed Ed Harris's son commit a murder. Yes. You know. It's a bit convoluted, but you know, yeah, we, it's we a get bit, there. But it's basically, it, the first act takes a long time to set all this up. So then the two uh, Conlans, i.e. Uh, 
Neeson and Kinnaman go on the run with corrupt policemen as well as Ed Harris and all his goons after them Mm -hmm. um, with Liam Neeson trying to appeal to his old childhood friend to just like let this go by all means kill me just leave my son alone that doesn't really go over and so we're in a fight to the death essentially Mm -hmm. and you can pretty much guess every single thing that's going to happen in this film from what I've just told you. It plays over a, a fairly short space of time, sometimes unrealistically. All night, in fact. All night. Everybody seems to be up all night. Every single relevant person is up all night, even the ones you wouldn't necessarily expect to be, which doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense, but fine. It's okay for most of its run, I think. There are some okay action scenes. The problem is that everything feels like you've seen it before. Yeah. And as soon as you leave the theatre, you're like, wait, what happened in that? And which one was the thing I th- I'm thinking well, of that I saw several years ago? There's the third collaboration between Neeson and Jame Colesera. Yep. And I've mangled that name beyond all recognition, I apologise. The first two being unknown and non-stop. So they are the Scorsese and De Niro of crap. Um, <laughs> oh. And this is, they're good fellas. This is their best film yet. Seriously. For the first 45 minutes or so, I was thinking, holy cow. This is actually really good. It's you know it's a, it's a different character for Neeson. It's mm. he's not playing just a simple Brian Mills retread, a bit similar I guess to Matt Scudder in in um, uh, Among the Tombstones. He's he's booze addled and he's full of regret and whatnot. But you know it's it's different and there's meaty scenes between Ed Harris and Neeson and yeah. it feels weighty. And it, Harris is actually terrific. Yeah, he's really good because he could phone this stuff in and both of them could. And Neeson's really good as yeah. as good as he's been in a movie of this type for a while. And then you know the action stuff starts and it's a bit low down and dirty and it's a bit gritty and I was totally on board with it. And then it turns into a different film. About halfway through, Common shows up as Jude Law and uh, (laughs) Jude Law meets a Terminator and it just becomes a different film. He turns up as this ridiculous, unkillable hitman uh, called Mr. Price and then Neeson switches on Brian Miller's mode and it just becomes a bit ludicrous and over the top and does everything wrong that the first hour does right, uh, which is a real shame. But there's still enough here, I think, for people to get a kick out of. Uh, it's, it's at times horribly over-directed. There's, there's this weird transitional thing that... Yes, that really did my nightmare. Yeah. So basically between scenes, they'll sort of do a CG-assisted flight across the city and like through fence railings <laughs> yes. and windows. And it's sort of... You remember what David Fincher did in Panic Room? Yes. It's that, except, <laughs> yes. you know, but not just not around as, a house, but yeah. not as good and not necessary in no. any way. It doesn't no. really help you with the geography. Do you know what it reminded me of? And this is a, an obscure reference, but uh, there's a great film, if you haven't seen it, called Deep Cover. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. That is a good and, film. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne, cracking undercover cop. Good film, score. Directed by Bill Duke. Okay. Oof, yeah. Um, is Mac, Mac from Predator. Yeah. And it, there, there are moments in that film. It's a fantastic film, but there are moments in that movie that seem that strike me as it's a, uh, a a new director who's just been told about the avid editing system and all the stuff you can do on it. And so there are moments in Deep Cover where it just suddenly slows down as dreadful slow motion bits and the colours become saturated and and just stylistically completely out of whack with everything else in the rest of the movie. And it feels to me like someone went to call Sarah going, look at this. Look at this. You don't need to just simply cut to another scene anymore. Now you can just zoom your camera through New York like a video game. And he's going, yeah, that's great. Is he Mark Cousins? Yeah, that's look. great. Very dark. <laughs> Yes. There are also bits where he's he seems to be doing trying to do a Gordon Willis kind of a thing where there's there's really obvious shadow at the top and bottom of the screen, almost like it's letterboxed, but not quite. Yeah, yeah. Um and he's trying to do this sort of Prince of Darkness kind of zoom in thing and it, it 
it just looked really odd because it doesn't fit with the rest of the film. It doesn't fit with the sort of slightly neon lit, lit sort of, you know, rest of the film. Really bizarre decisions, I think, on a lot of the shooting mm. here. But I agree with you. Um, I think the cast were good. I even think Kinnaman wasn't bad. I thought he had a completely thankless role that was really badly written. Yeah. But I didn't think he did bad things with it. And it almost, no. you know, it, it, it's the first step in forgiving him for Robocop, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> First step on the road to perdition. Uh, no way, that doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, I, we gave it three stars. I gave it three stars. I wrote the review for Empire. And the three stars, you know, yes, it's over-directed and yes, it goes off the rails, but there's enough stuff here. And it's, it's a proper, crunching, violent movie. It doesn't pull its punches like the horribly edited Taken movies either. So mm. three stars for Run All Night, uh, which may well be your best bet this week if you're looking for a bit of action next up we have Sweet Frances which stars Margot Robbie formerly of this very pod and one of the last people on earth to speak to Jeremy Clarkson before everything went horribly horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our American listeners <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson is a man on TV and he uh, well, actually they know what Top Gear is yeah, I think they, they know what Top Gear is so you know he yeah, he did something this week and it's all Some stuff back. happened. Yeah. Um, Sweet Frances. Yeah, Michelle Williams is in that film and she plays a... She plays a... Uh, Michelle a, Williams. A, 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 Michelle Williams is in that film. Yeah. Margot Robbie as well. I said Margot Robbie. I know. I meant Margot Robbie. Oh, okay. But I said Michelle Williams. That's good. That's I was good. just cutting to the chase because it's really Michelle Williams' um, movie. Um, she plays... It's Okay, first of all, it's based on a wonderful novel by um, Irene Nemirovsky, which was unfinished because she was um she eventually uh, died in the holocaust um she's a french french jewish lady um and the book was published very belatedly i think in the in the early noughties um and it's really well worth reading this this film concentrates on the middle book of three books from Sweet Francaise and it's basically about it's set after the German invasion of France um, it's set in a small French town in the sort of northwest of the country, uh, Michelle Williams plays a woman whose um, husband is a POW and is obviously in Germany and so she is living on her own with her angry stepmother who is uh, mother-in-law rather Kristen Scott Thomas, then the Germans roll in and Matthias Schoenartz is a German officer who sort of defies the trend of, of sort of general Nazi evil He's sort of chivalrous, he's considerate, and the two eventually form this this bond. And the film is the story of how that kind of plays out. It's kind of a romance, kind of a wartime drama. There's elements of thriller in there as well. The whole thing is a little, for my money, polite, a bit handsome. I thought the film is heart-wrenching. Uh, sorry, the book, rather, is heart-wrenching and uh, incredibly passionate. I'm not sure that the film Saul Dib, who directed The Duchess, um, similar kind of calibre of film here, this one. You know, it's, there's nothing... The acting is, 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 is solid throughout. It's an it's a, uh, impressive-looking film. It just perhaps lacks a bit of intensity for me, a bit of emotional heft. There's no way I'm going to be able to get through this without referencing uh, Jean-Pierre Melville at least once. Jean-Pierre <laughs> Melville made a film called The Silence of the Sea, La Silence de, de Mer, um, oh. Oh, which good. is a classic, oh, a classic from the Mayor-iverse. Um, <laughs> and, and that one is, is, is a very, very similar premise. It's a German officer who basically is billeted to a French house with the parents and a young girl. And there's this kind of strange, unspoken, hence the silence, unspoken kind of connection that forms as he bucks the trend. He's not a Nazi. He's a German who's proud of his country. And he talks about Schiller and Goethe and all of this stuff. And and uh, this film it has a similar dynamic between Matthias Schoenartz and Michelle Williams. You know, the, the war, the, the human emotions can transcend 
the stuff, you know, but there's obviously the statutory evil Nazis, the usual stuff in here as well. And there's a bit of an ending that feels different to the book, which has a little bit of the Harvey Weinstein about it, I would say. It's a little, for me, needlessly sort of amped up. Three stars, um, solid stuff, hard to get super excited about, I would say. Next up we have X plus Y. How's Bells? Yeah, so X plus Y is the story of uh, a maths prodigy and a, a team that gets together for the International Mathematics Olympiad, which, yes, is a real thing. It's the Olympics for nerds. Um, and as <laughs> such, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated immediately. Um, Sally Hawkins is the mother of a, a young sort of uh, a boy on the spectrum, let's say, uh, who's struggling to deal with the with the loss of his father. Um, and it's kind of a, a bit of a coming of age story, I guess, and uh, with with extra, you know, equations, uh, which is good. I mean, the, the, the cast is all as good as you'd expect. I think it's probably fair to say uh, the film feels a little bit formulaic at times, uh, mm. but generally speaking, it, it delivers. I think it's mostly due to that cast. So we gave it three stars. Three um, stars. And liked it. It's a three star week. It is a three star week, very much. That's so. very good guess. Rafe Spall, Asa Butterfield, Sally Hawkins, Eddie yeah. Marsan, all solid people. Good, good, solid people. I like a maths movie. Who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, this is a little bit. I'm a huge fan of. If you've ever seen Spellbound, not the Hitchcock one, but the documentary. The, the documentary. Yeah. This has got a little bit of a shade of that about it. It's, it's always good to see, you know, smart young people being smart. Absolutely. Um, unless they come and take our jobs. Oh. They wouldn't, would they? No, don't do that, young people. Do anything else. Anything else. Uh, right, also out this week are a couple of big reissues. The Sound of Music celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. And Far From the Manning Crowd, the re-release of the John Schlesinger version with Terence Stamp and Julie Christie looking all beautiful and lovely and whatnot, uh, ahead of the new version, which is out in May. So that's very exciting. Uh, both of which are better than anything else that's out this week. Uh, but as usual, you know, key cities and whatnot. So do go and seek them out if you can. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be talking to Sean Penn, Ooh. the brooding star of The Gunman, and also Sir Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben Kingsley will be in this very pod booth. That's exciting, isn't Amazing. it? Amazing. That's exciting. Amazing. Hope he doesn't go Don Logan on our asses. That could be, that could be bad. Uh, until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Phil. Jim Chimney. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to give a worky a wedgie because my can of Coke Zero wasn't cold enough. <sighs> See you next week. Bye. <laughs>